So let's start by going over our disciplines. So if you want to look on the back of your notebook, <coughs> um, and you can read along with me. The purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Discipline one is the heart. <clears throat> the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular the gospel. Discipline two is the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And discipline three is ministry. <clears throat> with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. And then our wellspring verse, which is written at the bottom, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's Proverbs 4.23. Remember that because that's going to come up in our lesson. Um, so today's lesson is based on discipline two, the home. But as we all know by now, it's March. <laughs> the disciplines are all connected. You can't have one without the other. Um, you can't do discipline two without discipline one. Um, you cannot leapfrog over discipline two and do discipline three. So they are all connected, and I think we'll see that today in our lesson a little bit more. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and get started here. Um, this morning, we're going to be learning a lot from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was mostly written by King Solomon. Uh, he wrote the first 29 chapters. He was the son of David, and he was king over Israel. And in 1 Kings 3, um, we read the account of um, God appearing to Solomon in a dream and telling him he can ask for anything he wants, and Solomon asks for wisdom. He actually asks for a discerning mind. So Solomon is considered to be the wisest man who's ever lived, and because he wrote so much of it down. We can benefit from that wisdom. Um, so what he asked for, discerning mind, the phrase discerning mind, it literally means having a listening heart or a hearing heart, which kind of also means having um, a heart that hears with a mind to obey. So it's kind of like what a mother might mean when she says to her children, you need to listen to me. Um, so Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom and discernment, and God gives it to him in great abundance. <clears throat> a proverb, this is lowercase p, proverb, um, is a short saying that states a general truth. You've probably heard of some ancient Chinese proverbs, one like, um, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, but teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. But we know that the book of Proverbs, this is capital P, Proverbs from the Bible, are inspired by God. So we need to read and study and learn from them. Um, <clears throat> the book of Proverbs is a book of poetry. It's not poetry like we're used to. It's not roses are red and violets are blue. It doesn't rhyme. Um, it's Hebrew poetry. <clears throat> and Hebrew poetry is um, sort of an eventive, evocative like uh, combination of ideas. So um, it's not a magical formula. Proverbs actually teach wisdom, but they require wisdom to understand them and to interpret them and to apply them. Um, the book of Proverbs often contrasts wisdom and folly. So I don't know if you remember when you were back in school, a Venn diagram, those two big circles, 
and, and in, they kind of like overlap in the middle. And in circle A, you write all the things that are true about subject A, and in circle B, all the things that are true about subject B. And then in that center part, the things that they have in common. Wisdom and folly are nothing like that. They have absolutely nothing in common. Your center section would be totally empty. So here is the first blank on your outline. Wisdom is skill for living in the fear of Yahweh. That skill for living in the fear of Yahweh. And I'm using the word Yahweh here, which you may or may not be familiar with. But when you're reading your Bible, if you ever see the word Lord written in all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's actually the word Yahweh. And that is God's name for himself. Um, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One book I use to help prepare this lesson is called God's Wisdom in Proverbs. It's written by a man named Dan Phillips. Um, and here's a quote from him that he has to say, God-centered wisdom will encompass all our endeavors, including excellence in relationships, in personal pursuits, finances, child-rearing, the whole shooting match. But the constant backdrop of these living skills will be the imperative of a life lived in reverence for God, in conscious application of his revealed wisdom, and dedicated to promoting his glory. So then, in contrast to a wise person, a fool. A fool is a stupid, wicked, vile, impious person. But we know there are degrees of folly, right? Ranging from the still reachable naive person to the completely hardened scoffer. I think, I hope, we would all agree that we want to be the wise person. We want to live well in the fear of the Lord. But how do we do that? How do we get wisdom? We go back to Proverbs 1.7 again. It says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to begin, we must fear the Lord. I looked up some different fears. Melissa and I were just talking about this before. I had to apologize ahead of time. You'll see why. Cat sardophobia. It's the morbid and irrational fear of cockroaches. <laughs> and then there's such a thing called melissophobia. That was the one I had to apologize for. It's the fear of bees and bee stings. Um, but that's not the kind of fear that we're talking about here when we say fear of the Lord. This kind of fear, it's not an emotion. This fear is directed toward Yahweh. So God has revealed himself to us. And if we want true wisdom, we have to start with him. We have to have a living, vital relationship with our one true God. And it's easy to say the fear of God without truly understanding what that means. So listen to this. The fear of God is produced by the word of God which reveals him, his mind, and his ways to us. So that's starting with discipline one, right? We have to approach God's word with humility. Humility here isn't just thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking as much of God as we should. And genuine humility starts with comparing ourselves to the true, infinite God. Derek Kidner, he's another author, he wrote that the fear of Yahweh is that filial relationship. 
in which the most positive of senses puts us securely in our place and God in his. And in front of us, we each hold, or sometimes in our back pockets, <laughs> the completed canon of scripture. You have access to the Bible. But so often we treat it like it's insufficient. So if wisdom starts with the fear of Yahweh, and the fear of Yahweh starts with the word of God, then where do we go every single day, every single time we need wisdom? So let's look at Proverbs 14 now. It's written there at the top of your notes. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Home is the first place where we display what the gospel has done in us. But it's also the first place where we see that we have to fight for that gospel influence in our lives. Daily, there are new opportunities to live out gospel truths. All we have to do is wake up every morning and open our eyes. So, like we learned before, Proverbs is poetry. So, we must try to discern what Solomon is saying here. Reading Proverbs 14, 1, he's not talking about physically building a house. He's not expecting us to go home with a hammer and nails and put an addition in our front yard. I know my HOA wouldn't like that. I don't know about yours. Um, so, instead, in this verse, the word build is referring to caring for your household and causing it to flourish. It's not rearranging furniture. It's not doing whatever Joanna Gaines says is the most popular thing. I'm convinced one day shiplap's not going to be in anymore. <laughs> a wise woman blesses those whom God has placed in her household. That could be her parents, her siblings, uh, a husband, children, her roommates. A wise woman needs to be intentional to love and to do good to those she lives with. And she needs to work with all diligence to profit those in her home. So then in contrast, the foolish woman, she tears her house down, even if unintentionally. She might be given to contentiousness or ungratefulness or bitterness, and she might use her words as a demolition tool and destroy the people that are most precious to her. Through the grace of God, and without deserving so, we've been redeemed through Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, God has imputed Christ's righteousness to you positionally. But even though we're redeemed, we live in a mixed condition. Remember that blue trifold that we got at the beginning of the year? <clears throat> we're in the midst of progressive renewal. We still sin. We all do. <laughs> um, one day when we're in heaven with Christ, we'll be in an unmixed, perfect condition. But for the time being, I think we would all agree, sometimes we look like the foolish woman. <clears throat> I like the analogy of a cup of coffee. What spills out of your cup of coffee when it's bumped? Coffee. So what spills out of your heart when it's bumped reveals what's inside your heart. What's in your heart at any given moment is going to come out. And that residue of sin that's in there, it's going to be revealed. So what can we do to fight that? Discipline one, we must be diligent to renew our minds with scripture. It's really easy to let the voices of the world creep in. The voices that say, you deserve whatever, or moms need me time. But the more we know God, and the more we know his word, then the more we can be a doer of the word, and that's how we build up our homes rather than destroying them. Jesus died and rose from the dead, so that can be a reality. <clears throat> and the building of our homes has a domino effect. Right? The more we build up our own homes, the more we build up each other's homes, and the more we build up the body of Christ. 
I don't know how many of you remember, um, just south of Chandler Mall by the 202 for about eight or 10 years, there was this giant cement skeleton of a building. Someone started building it and then I don't know what happened. So there for a long time, empty. And then one day someone bought the land and they brought in a wrecking ball. And I, there were people lining the streets to watch this happen. It was really actually entertaining. So there's this giant wrecking ball. So it's this huge you know, iron ball hanging from a crane and the crane operator would swing it back and forth. And, and this building was huge. And, and after a while, like these tiny little pieces would start coming off and then big pieces. And then before long, the entire building was just in a pile on the ground. And that's how you might be envisioning how the foolish woman is, but she can also be a termite, a tiny little microscopic insect. And if you own a house, you understand <laughs> that they do damage. And, and before you can even see any evidence of the damage, it's done. And if the homeowner doesn't take care of those termites, the home's gonna be destroyed. That kind of destruction can happen if we're not diligent to bring our hearts to the word of God. The more our eyes are turned to Jesus, and the more diligently we pursue knowing him, the more we grow in holiness and we bless those in our home. Hopefully no woman would say that she willingly wants to tear down her home, but when our aim is not to glorify God, but to glorify ourselves, it's exactly what we do. The foolish woman is driven by personal desire rather than the glory of God. And the glory of God is a battle that we must fight for. I don't know how many of you have ever ridden a bike uphill. It's really hard. <laughs> and if you stop pedaling at any time, you roll backwards. And the same goes for our battle against selfishness or impatience. Or maybe when someone in your home says something contrary to your desire or your plan or your opinion. That's a hard one. <laughs> but we must respond in a way that brings glory to God. We glorify him when our response displays his kindness and his patience. So we must prepare for battle and always be aware of our hearts so that what spills out when we're bumped will be the good that is stored up in our hearts because we've purposed to know Christ. We have the power to bless and to build up those in our homes. We also have the power to tear down and destroy. But because of that new heart given to believers by God, we're called wise. And we know that the power of sin has been broken. And we know that the penalty of sin has been paid by Christ on the cross. But we also know that the presence of sin still remains. We have sin's residue on our hearts. So I don't know if you're like me and you ever feel like you're becoming more and more sinful as you grow in the Lord. I think that's because of the grace of God. He's faithful to reveal our sin as we grow in him he is also gracious to not reveal it all at once i think that is a gift he shows us slowly and patiently where we need to repent and turn from our sin so when we see this word fool there's two things that we can think of we can either think of one the fool is the one whose only hope is for god to give her a new heart but number two the fool is also the one who knows God, but is acting foolishly in this moment. Her flesh is ruling. Believers in Jesus <clears throat> will display some deeds of the flesh because of our mixed condition, but we will not be characterized by them, right? 
Their lives will be most characterized by the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, and these, I'm sure, are very familiar to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The book of Proverbs helps us to evaluate that residue of foolishness remaining in our hearts. (coughs) And God reveals sin in our hearts so that we might pursue him and holiness for his glory. So you all have a home. Some of you live with your parents, some of you with siblings, some of you have children or a husband, some of you have roommates, and some of you live alone. But everyone's living situation is a season, and seasons are always changing. So let's look at Proverbs 14.1 again. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. So the wise woman, while fully dependent on God and his word, that sounds familiar, that's discipline one. So she, figuratively speaking, builds up the prosperity of her household. This is number one on your outline, wise women in Proverbs. Proverbs is full of descriptions of a wise woman. I think these scriptures are written on your notes if you'd like to follow along. Proverbs 11:16a says, A gracious woman attains honor. Proverbs 19:14b, A prudent wife is from the Lord. 31:10 says, An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above rubies. And 31:30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. So what makes this woman excellent? The fear of Yahweh, or the fear of the Lord. So wise in Proverbs is often seen in two ways. Letter A on your notes, the wise woman listens well. There is an eagerness to receive instruction, and here's the hard one, as well as rebuke. Proverbs 8.33 says, a wise woman heeds instruction and does not neglect it. And 9.8 says, she loves the one who reproves her. So does this describe us? When I was learning how to drive, I drove a VW Bug. I don't know if you've ever driven one. They have giant blind spots. It's probably not the safest vehicle for a new driver to be in. Um, But when I was learning, I never actually knew what was in my blind spot, like when I was changing lanes or turning, unless... My driving instructor told me that it was safe to go, and I had to trust them. That's the definition of a blind spot. You can't see what's in it. I never hit anything, so that's good. So that's why God uses others in our lives to help us. It's good for us, and we can be an instrument in each other's lives so we can fulfill God's purpose that way, and we should welcome this help in our pursuit of Christ. Proverbs 10.8 and 15.31 both say, A wise woman receives commands, and she listens to life-giving reproof, unlike the babbling fool, which only leads to ruin. Proverbs 19.20 says, A wise woman listens to counsel and accepts discipline. Proverbs 9.9, A wise woman, when taught, will become wiser still. And Proverbs 8.34, A wise woman listens to wisdom. So, a teachable spirit begins with a humble spirit. It's a spirit who recognizes that we are the greatest of sinners. A teachable spirit is descriptive of a woman who knows she needs to change and she needs to grow, and she's eager to do so, so she listens well. Sometimes this includes inviting others to speak into our lives. 
asking them what they see that might need attention that you don't see. So the second way that wisdom is seen in Proverbs, letter B, the wise woman speaks wisely. Proverbs 16.23 says, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. And our very familiar wellspring verse, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your mouth is a reflection of your heart. And likewise, your mouth is able to be restrained by your heart. That's why it's so important that we guard our hearts. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. When your cup of coffee gets bumped, what comes out? Because we all know challenges will come. You will sin. I will sin. We will be sinned against and trials will come and whatever is in my heart will be revealed. So let's look at um, what the Bible, what Proverbs has to say about our words. Proverbs 10:19, a wise woman restrains her lips. Proverbs 12:18, a wise woman isn't rash, instead she brings healing. Proverbs 13:14, a wise woman's teaching is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14:3, a wise woman's lips protect. And Proverbs 15:2, a wise woman makes knowledge acceptable. And 15.7, her lips spread knowledge. So these verses show us that a wise woman must first guard her heart well so that what comes out of her mouth is thoughtful, helpful, protective, instructive, and winsome. We are all sinners, and we live with sinners. So the question is, how am I going to respond? Will I build up or will I tear down? And God has graciously given us everything we need to listen well, to respond rightly, and to speak wisely. So now we know what Proverbs has to say about the wise woman, what she looks like and what she sounds like and how she can build up her home. So um, let's look at what Proverbs has to say about the many ways we can tear down our homes. So number two on your outline is foolish women in Proverbs. Letter A is the foolish woman is sexually immoral. God calls for us to be pure. That means that we are viewing others as our brothers and sisters. We seek to speak, act, dress, and even think in a way that does them good and that helps them to see Christ in us and spurs them on to love God and for them to be pure as well. And the only relationship to go beyond that is if we're married with our husband and in that context, sex is good. It's not immoral. It actually glorifies God. But bringing sex or being sexually provocative or immodest or even thinking sexually sinfully about someone else, that's immorality. And like any other sin, sexual immorality is birthed in our hearts. So <clears throat> even if we think we aren't behaving in a way that is immoral, we still have to check our hearts. We need to ask ourselves questions like, where are my affections? Or what do I desire that I shouldn't? Or am I content with what God has given me or not given me? Or am I conducting myself in a way that is loving in my dress, in my speech, in my conduct? And these kinds of questions can help us identify if there's any roots of sexual immorality in our hearts. We must also guard our hearts and our minds by being careful about what we watch or what we read um, there's a lot of worldly views that penetrate TV 
and movies and books and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest, all sorts of things. But we cannot let that kind of entertainment entertain us. We must not be entertained by what Christ died for. So there's some more verses on your outline under here, and for the sake of time, we are not able to go through all of them. Um, but feel free to do so on your own if you would like to later. But we're going to move on to letter B on your outline. The foolish woman is idle. Laziness and idleness tear down our homes. They are characteristics of a foolish woman. Proverbs 10.4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So laziness is opting for what's comfortable for ourselves rather than what's best for others. And I think um, this can be seen in the discipline of our children. My eye must be on what's best for my child rather than my own pleasure or comfort. Laziness or idleness is believing that good things should come to me without having to work to get them. And it's a willingness to permit ourselves to not do things that we know we should. Um, again, there are more verses on your outline, but we're going to spend the rest of the time on point C here. So um, feel free to come back and look at these if you'd like. Letter C, the foolish woman is contentious. Contentious means to be quarrelsome, given in angry debate, strife, or discord. So our master bathroom faucet leaks. It's just a tiny slow drip, and it only leaks when the faucet is turned to like warmer hot water. So I have to go over there a lot and turn it to cold so that it stops. But sometimes I forget. And sometimes at the end of a really long day, I lay in bed totally exhausted, and in the dark, all I hear is drip, 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 all night long. <laughs> it's enough to make a person go crazy. Um, Proverbs 19.13 uses that same illustration when it says, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. This foolish, repetitive behavior has made you only background noise that exhausts the patience of those in your household and results in tearing it down. Proverbs 21.9 says, it's better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And verse 19 of that same chapter, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. In case you're wondering, vexing means to provoke, to stir up in debate or anger. It might look like someone who has to have the last word. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says, A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and he grasps oil with his right hand. We've talked about the Israelites recently um, in Wellspring on Thursday. I'm sure you're familiar with them. They saw God do wondrous miracles. And yet, they still complained, and they still grumbled. They are a sobering example of contentiousness. So, let's look at them. Turn to Exodus 17 in your Bibles. <clears throat> Exodus 17, we're going to start in verse 1. 
Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidium. And there was not water for the people to drink. Okay, so the Israelites have a real need. They need water. That makes sense? The problem was not their need. Their problem was their response to that need. Look at verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Have you ever found yourself responding like this? Grumbling and complaining? Grumbling and complaining are signs of contention. And they will tear down our homes and our relationships when our hearts are filled with discontent. But thankfulness, cultivated in our hearts, kills contentiousness. There's always something to be thankful for when you know Christ. You can think on all that God has done for you as a believer. You can think on what we truly deserve. You can think on all that God has given us. You can think on all that he gives us to enjoy now in the way of earthly blessings. He's always at work in our lives and in our circumstances, and God is always good. We can trust him. So what can we learn from these Israelites? Here's some more blanks to fill out on your outline. Genuine need does not excuse a sinful response. So that's genuine need does not excuse a sinful response. Contentiousness breeds more sin. Grumbling, fear, accusations. One sin leads to another, and sin always has companions. And that third one there, complaining fails to acknowledge what is true about God and his faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever read a book called The Greener Grass Conspiracy. I highly recommend it. The Greener Grass Conspiracy calls complaining telling a lie about God. We're not trusting in God's goodness when we complain. We're not trusting that what God has for us at this very moment is his best for us. We're not believing that he actually cares for us and that he's at work for our good. It will do us good to look again at the cross. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and remember that God has provided for our greatest need in salvation. Life isn't easy. It's hard. But no matter what we face, we can be comforted knowing that each circumstance has passed through our Lord's hands. He loves us, and he's working all things for our good and for his glory. God knows. So thinking back to those Israelites, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and God was faithful. Yet they still continued to be contentious. So let's look at some characteristics of contentiousness. Contention is stirred up by anger. Proverbs 29:22, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 15:18, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Contention is also stirred up by arrogance. Proverbs 28:25, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts the Lord will be enriched. And by gossip. Proverbs 26:20, 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. 
We also know that contention creates defensiveness. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. So when a city would be under attack, the people would bar themselves inside for protection. But this type of defensive action in our homes brings division. When there's contention and one party hides away, whether it be physically or emotionally or spiritually, it brings division. And then there's withdrawal from one another. It's important that when we encounter anger or withdrawal in a relationship, we need to look behind that behavior to try to discern what the real issue is. So instead of defending yourself, we can try something like this. I just realized how hurt or concerned or angry you must be about whatever the situation is. Please help me understand clearly your point of view so that we can work together on this. I know that's hard to say, so hard. But the more quickly we address each other's anger with gentleness and kindness and the love of Christ, the more often we see a positive result and we want a result that glorifies the Lord. And who among us has not been hurt by the words of someone else? Or who among us has not regretted something that we have said? And who among us can say, my words are always appropriate to the situation. They are always kindly spoken. I can't. I would dare say none of us can. So Proverbs also provides warnings directed at the home. <clears throat> Proverbs 17.1 Better is a dry morsel and quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 21.9 and 25.24 It's repeated twice. It must be important. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So, what can we do? Look next on your outline. Letter I or one. I don't know what that is. <clears throat> we must forsake contention. Communication is about the words we say, but it's just as much about the words that we choose not to say and the tone and the timing of those words. We must refuse to let our talk be driven by our passions and our personal desires, but instead by God's purposes. That is forsaking contention. I'm sure we're all familiar with sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. But have you considered what sanctification will cost you? Are you prepared to forsake contention, to forsake grumbling, complaining, when we don't understand or agree with what God is doing? But God has promised to finish the work he began in us. That work he began, began in salvation, and the ongoing work is the process of sanctification. We're being renewed day by day. When gold is refined, it's heated to melting, and then the dross is removed off of the top, and then the gold is cooled. And then it's heated to melting, and the dross is removed, and the gold is cooled. And the process is repeated again and again and again. <clears throat> God is in the process of refining us. But we can't demand instant change in one another. And we can't demand pure gold without time and patience and heat. We all live in a fallen world, and there will be disappointment, and there will be hurt, and there will be failure, and there will be sin, and we will be sinned against. But Galatians 5 helps show us how to choose our words carefully so we can forsake contention. Let's turn there together. Galatians 5. 
Galatians 5, and we're going to be um, verse 13. Galatians 5, 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So let's take a second to evaluate. Are our relationships shaped by love? Do they show us in the servant posture? Are we asking God to reveal how we can be used to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds? Are we making it our aim to look for ways to comfort and encourage and warn and teach each other? So when we're faced with a difficult relationship, it's important to view that difficulty as an opportunity to minister in the grace of God, and it's, it's not an obstacle. We have a choice to make in that moment of disagreement. We must seek to serve and to not be served. That is what builds up our home and our church body. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. So either... Either we are living as a servant of the Lord, accepting his call to serve those around us, or we are living to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature and expecting others to satisfy our cravings as well. So let's go back to Galatians 5, we were just in, and look at verse 14 now. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, listen to this. The problems that we encounter in relationships, they're not simply horizontal, person-to-person problems. They're fundamentally vertical. Person to God. So if I'm living for God's glory, if my love for him stands above my love for anyone or anything else, including myself, then my practical goal in life will be to please him in everything I do and say and wherever he puts me, And one sure fruit of that heart will be that I will love my neighbor as myself. So then, in contrast, when a desire for an idol replaces my love for God, the result will be conflict in my relationships. (coughs) Conflict has vertical roots that produce horizontal fruit of fighting and quarreling. I'll repeat that if you want. Conflict as vertical roots that produce horizontal fruit of fighting and quarreling. Love for God makes me want to keep his law, and that will always result in practical love toward my husband, child, roommate, parent, sibling, whoever I live with. Still in Galatians 5, let's look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So when we live for ourselves and not for God, we bite and devour one another. We're willing to chew someone up to satisfy our own appetites. And when our hearts are not ruled by the law of love, but by sinful demands and desires, we'll become angry and disappointed with one another. And then we'll destroy one another with our words. Communication is intended to build up, 
It's intended to strengthen. It's intended to encourage one another. And change at the heart level fundamentally alters the way we speak to one another. So still Galatians 5. It's a good chapter. Verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, as long as our indwelling sin remains, which is as long as we're going to be here on earth, there will be a war within our hearts. And we must always be aware of that conflict. Because if we forget about the presence of indwelling sin, that immediately will lead to destructive talk. And I know all of us wrestle with conflicting desires. When we're faced with a difficulty, we might desire an appropriate godly solution. But there's other desires operating in our hearts as well. We might desire to shift blame. We might desire to separate ourselves from responsibility. We might desire to rehearse all the other times that this person failed us. We might desire to hurt that person as we're hurting. We might desire to share the failure of this person with somebody else. But we build up our homes when we say no to any communication that flows from those desires. Building up our homes means refusing to speak in any way that is contrary to what the Spirit is seeking to produce in me and in others. <coughs> if I'm seeking to live consistently with the Spirit's work in me, I must be willing to examine my talk with the mirror of the Word of God. When your child is sick, you pay attention to their symptoms. When your car is making a weird noise, you listen so you can describe it later to the mechanic because you want to figure out what's wrong with it. Pay attention to your heart through the word of God. Ask yourself questions like, how did I respond? Why? What's going on in this heart of mine? Are the words coming out of my mouth and originating in my heart? Words of anger, bitterness, judgment? What am I not receiving that I think I'm entitled to? And why is it causing such anger in me? And as a side note, the cold shoulder or just not speaking, but silently stewing in sinful bitterness, it's just as damaging because that's rooted in the heart as well. So maybe at this point you're feeling a little discouraged. I know I can get that way. Maybe this is something you know that you struggle with and you're feeling overwhelmed at the thought of needing to examine your heart so deeply and so regularly. Let's consider Romans 8, 5 through 11, particularly verses 10 and 11, which I think is on your notes. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I don't know how many of you were in church on Sunday and heard Scott's message. If you missed it, I highly recommend going back and listening. Um, you know, he's teaching through Romans right now. We're in Romans 6. And last Sunday, he read Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, 
you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You don't have to sin. We're free from it, right? So when we're faced with a choice at that crossroads, do I respond sinfully or do I respond in righteousness? We're free to choose righteousness. We're free to choose to honor God. We don't have to live under the control of our old sinful nature. And we can examine ourselves with joy because we realize we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at our difficulties in life (coughs) as sovereignly given opportunities to see fruit matured by God's grace. I like this line here. Difficulties are not obstacles to the development of spiritual fruit. They're opportunities to see it grow. It's never the loudness of our voice, the power of our words, the drama of the moment, or the strength of our vocabulary that causes change within people. God can use whispered words to produce thunderous conviction. And gentleness flows from knowing God and his power. Gentle talk does not come from a person who's angry or looking to settle a score. It's not coming from a person, what, sorry. It comes from the person who is speaking, not because of what he wants from you, but what he wants for you. Gentle talk comes not when we're speaking out of personal hurt or anger or bitterness, but out of self-sacrificing love. It's not because of how your sin affected me, but it's because your sin has ensnared you, and I want to see you freed from it. We're not on a mission of selfish confrontation, but loving rescue. So, number two here, besides forsaking contention, what we must also do is fight contention. Here's some ways that we can fight against the sin of contention. Remember God's character. He can only ever be kind and good. Always think the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love hopes all things. Don't underestimate your own sinfulness. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. So, ask the Lord to show you what pleases him in your speech and what does not. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Spend some time in Philippians or 1 Thessalonians. Those are good ones. And continue to look in scripture for instruction in God-honoring speech. Let's move on to number three now. We need to take a moment to evaluate our own hearts. So number three is self-evaluation. And there's some questions written there we're going to read through. Which of these phrases can you say applies to you? I frequently express gratitude for the benefits I have received from God and others. Or... I frequently grumble about having what I don't want or wanting what I don't have. I build others up with words of praise, appreciation, and admiration, or I often hurt others with critical, belittling words. I'm quick to point out the failure of others. And I think sarcasm can fit in here. I am quick to humble myself and seek forgiveness when I have wronged someone, or I tend to defend or justify myself rather than admitting when I'm wrong. I am faithful in praying for God to work in others' lives, like whom you live with, your husband, your child, your roommate, your friends, your parents, or 
I spend more time talking to friends or counselors about the needs in the lives of those around me than I do in fervent intercessory prayer on their behalf. When provoked, I generally respond with a gentle answer, or I'm easily provoked and tend to respond with harsh words. So, like the rudder of a ship, the tongue is very small in comparison to our bodies. James 3.5 says, says, <coughs> So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Our tongues must be yielded to God as a tool of righteousness. And a few weeks ago, we were in Romans 6, 12 through 13 on Sunday. Remember, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When we're wise with our words, we're placing our trust in God. We're confident in his faithfulness to work for his glory and for our good. And we can remember Christ's example that we read about in 1 Peter 2.23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So you and I can build up our homes when we want what's best for others. <clears throat> and all this does is show us how desperately we need God and his word continually. We must make our hearts ready to respond, to always be pleasing to the Lord. We need to seek to be peacemakers and reconcilers. Building up our homes means choosing our words carefully. But don't give up because you feel overwhelmed. If this seems too hard, there's hope. Number four on your outline, there is gospel hope. Let's turn to 1 Peter 2. First Peter 2, 24 is what we're going to read now. <clears throat> he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So another part of shepherding our hearts throughout the day is thinking on and praising the Lord for his character and for the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and for the sin of all who would believe. The gospel gives us a relationship with God based on the sinless life and the sin-bearing death of Jesus Christ. The gospel frees us to honestly face and acknowledge our sin. If we do not see our sin, we do not acknowledge our sin, we won't see our need for him, and we'll continue to trust in self-righteousness. But the gospel reminds us that God no longer counts that sin against us. Our Father is a kind and loving master. But sin left unchecked, maybe swept under a rug or hidden away in a closet, it looks okay, but it's like smoldering embers, and soon it's going to erupt in a huge fire and it will destroy your home. Tearing down our homes takes time, little by little, like termites, like we talked about, or great big chunks, like a wrecking ball. And great damage like that takes time to rebuild. Romans 12.2 tells us, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So filling our minds with the world's thoughts, like being disappointed or annoyed, prideful, makes disappointed or annoyed or prideful words come out of our mouths. But God's word calls us to renew our minds, to think like Christ, and that's what shepherding our heart throughout the day looks like. This lesson has definitely been a source of conviction and encouragement in my own life, and I hope it has been for you too. As an encouragement, we can be women who speak wisely and who listen wisely. Christ has equipped us to speak, to build up, because we've been bought with a great price. And the gospel is a call to forsake living according to the cravings of our sinful nature so that we can live for Christ. And I hope that we can pursue Christ diligently <coughs> so that we can be wise women whose affections are for him, whose service is for him, whose trust is in him, so that our homes can be built up for his glory. So let's pray together. Father God, you are so good to have given us your word. It is a treasure. And so often I know we do treat it like it's insufficient. We forget to treasure and to value it, God, as direction for our lives. This is your communication with us. This is everything that we need for life. This is everything that we need to know how to pursue you, how to live, how to make decisions, how to speak well, how to listen well, how to treat others well. God, I pray that you would give us a desire and a passion to be in your word so that we can know you better. God, I pray that we, as women, would remember that we have been bought with a great price. You have paid for the penalty for our sin, and we can live for you. We have the freedom to make a choice to honor you in our words and in our actions. God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would seek to have your patience, your kindness, and your love that we would seek to be in the servant posture and care for those in our homes well. God, thank you for these ladies. Thank you for their faithfulness to be here, God. And um, I pray as we go to the discussion times that your word is glorified and your name is praised. In your name, amen.